our gospel reading from Luke invites us to consider because the centrality of this particular reading is about a woman, anonymous as you may have heard, and like many of the women in the Bible, she is not named except labeled in specific relation to her context or an affliction or an ailment or the other. But when you are nameless, how else do we refer to you, says the scholars. But the story of this woman who has no name, who is referred to in the title of the readings in our respective translations, as the woman who is bent over, or the woman that is afflicted, whatever it is, she is anonymous and has no name. The story is about a healing and the fact that the story actually has a happy ending. A story is powerful, but the healing that she receives is important for us to consider the place and the time in which it takes place because the very significance of this is also for the woman in our church today. So if we are to consider the chapter 13, we need to step back to chapter 12 of this particular Luke and text. Because in chapter 12, which is a virtually unknown story, it's about Pilate that mixes the blood of the Galileans with pagan sacrifices. And Jesus very clearly states that suffering is not an indication of your sin being greater than the sins of the other. And the parable in chapter 12 talks about a fig tree that has not borne any fruit for three solid years. And the owner now wants to come and cut it down and then the gardener goes into a plea bargain with him and says to me, sir, please permit me another year. I will till the soil and I will feed the tree. Give it one more chance to bear the fruit that is significant to this particular tree. But in the day of Jesus, it was common to believe that mental and physical suffering was caused because you were possessed by an evil spirit. And the possession occurred because the victim was morally or spiritually deficient in one way or the other. So consider yourself this morning. Surely we have deficiencies in one area or the other. Can we then, on face value, looking at our brother or our sister, or the other way around, just make an assumption that within you is an evil spirit? But Jesus, by relating the story and the parable, is declaring that physical suffering cannot simply be judged on the elements of moral or spiritual shortcoming. Yo, Jesus. Good on you. When one's life does not, and I put this in inverted commas, bear fruit, you and I recognize our need for a gardener that will stand in the gap for us and say, give it another chance. Let us just continue to till the soil and add something new, do something different, treat the tree because the significant fruit holds potential. <laughs> The bent-over woman come 
comes to the synagogue, but she doesn't seek Jesus out particularly. Our assumption as we read the scripture and as we consider this reading is that out of habit she's done it for 18 years, come to the synagogue wanting to be part of the prayer and of the healing and of everything else that goes on and considered to be the work of the synagogue and its leaders. But because she was crippled in her spine, she could not straighten it. So imagine that for 18 years, all you do is get down. <coughs> all you see is the ground. And you are to rely on the people around you to tell you what the world looks like and what is happening around you. Until such time that you can straighten out. But Jesus calls her name. Now remember, she's anonymous, say, eh? she has no name. Jesus calls her and he says to her, Woman. So I want for you to consider your own name. Because each one of us, if we consider very prayerfully and very honestly and intentionally, that was in each one of us, not the women just here this morning, but the men and the children, that there is some bent overness in each one of us. Something that has the potential to cripple us, either emotionally, or physically, or in every other way. So you carry this particular weight, and it is to you that Jesus speaks. Woman, man, child, listen to the voice of the one that speaks life. Your ailment is no more. I, the Lord, said you. Hallelujah. The Word of God goes on and it says to us, immediately after that particular declaration of her life and the words of life that Jesus speaks over her and touching her and saying to her that you are set free, she straightened out, she stands up, and then she does what you all ought to do. Praise God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. Let's say it together. How great. The story broadens to show the reactions of the religious leaders of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. They were totally I read was the fact that Jesus healed. Because the healing of an individual has social ramifications, and especially on the Sabbath. This kind of work is not to be done on the Sabbath. But I want for you to notice the words of the church leader. They are not directed to Jesus. Instead, what they do, they triangle the conflict. They speak to a third party. They invite those who are watching. And you know, we see this in political conversations and narrative. Wherever there's an audience, the louder the voice. Jesus once again shows the religious leaders. The system, the system of the synagogue does not really speak to the sensitivity to people's suffering. The only recourse for the synagogue leader is to fall back on the unexamined traditional law. 
wants to remind the people of the Lord. So the Synod of Lourdes says healing, healing is work, Rabbi. Healing is work. We don't work on the Sabbath. But then Jesus turns that on its head and he says, but I want to show you your hypocrisy. There are two things in your hypocrisy, Jesus says. You release your oxen and your donkey from the manger and you leave them to go and drink. Is that not work? But because it speaks firstly of economic survival, if the donkeys and the, and the, the oxen aren't ready, the synagogue does not work and aren't ready. Jesus says, you are hypocrites. How dare you compare the healing, the suffering of a person, to being less of a concern that your economic survival speaks on behalf of them. And so, friends, Jesus speaks to us and says to us, your, uh, your example is full of irony because the status of women is equal to that of owning property. And so he puts that aside and he says, the point I'm making here is the suffering of human beings is never to be compared to what the animals around you can provide. Thank you. Today, many women inside and outside of the church, are bent over. Crippled by physical ailments, crippled by emotional ailments, crippled by spiritual afflictions. We go to the assembly for which you need to pray. We go to the assembly on the 26th of August and we go into Zimbabwe. And just yesterday we got a note to say there's a cholera scheme. There is a scarcity of food, but the church stands in solidarity with the people of Zimbabwe because our church is there. And if we don't go, we convey a message, and if we do go, you stand in solidarity with the struggles and the ailments of the day. And I am now invited to lead two workshops at the assembly. Please pray for me, because there's always more men than women at the assembly. And uh, I've got to lead the workshop, says the, or the authorities, on women in ministry. And so I call up the youngest or new most recent um, appointed placed probationers and I ask them, please will you consider to write an A4 page of your experience as a female minister. So we're not exempted in terms of our bent overness in the church. As I listen to the struggles of the women for recognition and holistic treatment. So pray for me as I present the case studies, which is now no longer just a worship on women in ministry. But I want for us to confront the window dressing. Too many women do not live out their lives standing straight up. And I mention only my two colleagues. Too many women do not live out their lives standing straight up, looking without fear into the future. Because culture dictates that a woman needs to respond in a particular way, irrespective of whether you're the middle of the woman. The kinds and causes of our better Judith was praying this morning for the four women that were killed 
this past week. We are mindful of the physical and sexual violence all around us. We are familiar with the struggle of women and mental health, which God is placing a very heavy burden on our spirit, that we should consider the effects of mental health. We are mindful of the realities of poverty. Lack of education. Girls who can't go to school for a particular period of time. We are mindful of economic and political discrimination. And the list goes on. You and I cannot stand aloof of the struggles we are struggling with. And we cannot make an assumption when we see somebody that is bent over. But from what we see, that is what is happening. And any affliction, and I know this from an experience within our own home, that is long term, can lead to a state of hopelessness. How do you see past that which for 18 years has been your life? But friends, the bent of a woman was healed because she was faithful. 18 years she committed to seeking the face of God. The bent of a woman was healed because she had been caring. And perhaps as she continued fainter and fainter for all of the 18 years, her hope may have grown thin. But she was in the presence of God when he looked up at her. I don't know what your affliction is. And I know that the person sitting beside you don't know your affliction because we live privately. God is aware of you. He created you, remember? He's aware of you. And what the lesson for me above all else comes from this particular teaching of today. There is power. There is power in the name and in the words of Jesus. Woman, you are set free. And so I pray for all of you that you will be reminded of the promises of God, that healing is available beyond religious practice or our own expectation. In the presence of the Lord, says the Son, there is healing. And we then make the commitment in response, says the Son. So Lord Jesus, I stand, we stand in your presence. committed to you. Because the word of God from the prophet Jeremiah chapter 8 22 speaks of an all important question. Is there no God in you? But we know there is.